Because I figure what I really want to do with my life, what I want to do for a living, is I want to be with your daughter. I'm good at it. Hi, welcome to the Director's Club Podcast. I'm Patrick Rapol. And I'm Jim Laskowski. How you doing, Jim? Pretty good. How you doing? Good. I uh, just started this new podcast. Kind we of excited about sh- it. We sure did. I'm really excited about it as well. Yeah. Um, in this podcast, every uh, we're hoping to update at least once a month, maybe even more than that. We uh, Each episode, I'll say, will... Pretty much cover one director. Yeah. yeah. Um, we two, Through two of his films, we look at his career, and often you know, we'll end up talking about other of his movies, but we'll focus on two of them. Yeah, I even think for the first month, we'll um, you know maybe even do three or four episodes. Yeah. And then February rolls around, we might go back to the monthly format, depending on free time. Okay. But our director for this episode is indeed Cameron Crowe. And then probably for our next episode, we'll do Rob Zombie. Oh, I was um, going to tease it. Oh, well... I ruined that. We might not do Rob Zombie. That's true. And it's basically because we're we're sort of diving right into the potential arguments, or at least filmmakers that we've sort of disagreed on just in conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But for right now, we're sort of just diving into what we've watched this yeah. past week. And I basically just wanted to catch up on 2010. Uh-huh. and uh, dive into like a lot of movies that have made other top ten lists and stuff that could be have you know potential for Oscar consideration. Did you see White Material? I didn't. That was not... one that was difficult to track down. It's or on, It's on demand on Comcast. I don't have Comcast. No. Um, yeah. I have AT&T. I'll do it. Okay, so what did you Bummer. see recently? Well, I saw How to Train Your Dragon, and I was thoroughly impressed with it. Mm-hmm. I... You know, I'm I'm a big fan of Pixar, and I'm not a fan of DreamWorks no. animation. What did they do? Like Shark Tale and Ants, and I don't even remember what else, but uh, some bad stuff. Shrek. Oh yeah, Shrek, Shrek. two. Mm-hmm. Shrek the third. Oh my god. Um, Shrek, Shrek four, the, the final, final chapter. chapter. Yeah. Wow. All right. No. And then Shrek Shrek five, <laughs> Leprechaun in Space. Oh my god. Um. So yeah, I was extremely surprised but at the same time i shouldn't be because it's gotten all this praise yeah and well deserved i was incredibly wrapped up in the story and found myself pretty moved by it the most interesting thing and i i I genuinely feel that the character of the dragon who's named toothless is one of the best characters of the year it's like a combination between a, a, a cat and a puppy and it's like they you know they treat the dragon like a pet and you become really attached to too toothless. <laughs> yeah, the, the cat, it's a combination of a cat and a puppy. Yeah, well, that breeds fire. You know, haven't would, you always wanted one of those? Okay, um, Jim, I'm going to need you to tell me what parts is it like a cat, and then what parts are like a puppy? Because it feels like you picked two very similar animals. <laughs> well, at the same time, I like you're training a puppy, right. but it has like a cute little face and sort of like uh-huh. of, a, of a of a cat. You know, that's not puppy quality at all. I think so. Uh, I, th- I I still think you could take the dragon out for a walk in the morning. Yeah. You know, I've heard the same thing about uh, how to train your dragon, and I've been very resistant to the idea that it's. Do we, by the way, would you say it's like Pixar good? Mm, close, but not quite. Mm. I mean, I th- I actually think it might be on par with Toy Story three. I I don't know. I mean, it's kind of tough to decide. On a first viewing, I like to watch movies a couple of times to sort of make a set in stone yay or nay on, well, it's better than this. But at the same right. time, my initial reaction to 
uh, I was more moved by How to Train Your Dragon than Toy Story 3, which mm -hmm. is blasphemous to some people, but because everybody's expected to cry at Toy Story 3, and I did, but not like, you know, just a couple of sniffles <laughs> at I, Toy Story 3. I cried during Toy Story 3 because it wasn't up. Oh. Yeah. I feel... See, I have issues with up. I had, I mean, we don't have to get into, you know... No, what's, your, what's right? your issues with up? I don't I like feel... the way it ends, really. I think it's just too standard action adventure kind of conclusion to the whole thing, and I liked how original it started out, and I felt like it just kind of pooped out. Really? Yeah. You don't like the uh, the dogs, fighter pilots, and the... It's, it's fine. But, yeah, I mean, once it gets to, like, the you know, them fighting the uh, the evil guy, I was just kind of, like, shrugging it off. But I was I was totally into the dogs. I was totally into that once they got to the island, and then once they met the guy, I was just kind of like, oh, all right, it's going to go there. My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love what's you. Your, what's your favorite Pixar movie? It could be World. Toy Story 2. Or the first Toy Story, or Finding hmm. Nemo. It's tough to decide because I really love them all except cars. You like Albert Brooks movies. Squirrel. <laughs> what? Is that Finding Nemo? <laughs> it's an Albert Brooks movie. I, well, was he in Toy Story too? I don't know. No, but Finding Nemo was. It's true. I do love Albert Brooks movies, but um, I've heard the same about uh, How to Train Your Dragon. But I, like I said, I've been very resistant to it because yeah. uh, there are people who defend just any animated movie they go oh, it was pretty funny you know i kind of enjoyed it. you know what it was beautifully animated it was very <laughs> wow really beautifully animated yeah and it was beautifully animated yeah but i mean at this and point the score was amazing and of course it ended with uh, a seager rose song mm -hmm. and well actually it's the lead singer jonesy and i for some reason that's a band that if you just want if you just put a song by seager rose at the end of your movie i will cry and i'm not even sure why it Jim. just happens it happens we're not talking about Cameron Crowe movies yet. Oh. Yeah. You're thinking of Vanilla Sky. That's true. But that would be a nice segue if we were going to talk about Cameron Crowe yet. You should play the, the score to Social Network in the background while I'm typing. You can add that in later. I could. Yeah. Or we can just do our own version. Wow, you actually got that. That is how it sounds. I only know the only score I know off the top of my head is uh, Eyes Wide Shut or Inception. Yeah. <laughs> this is going. By the way, uh, at the end of the year when we do our readers' polls, this is going to be the least popular segment where you make sounds with your mouth. <laughs> oh come on! It's so much fun to do. I can't help it. I know. Get to know us. Exactly. You know. I mean. We don't necessarily have to give a bio of information, but at the same time, you know, very briefly... That's right, we never did do that, did we? You know, other than just, like, a couple of things involving our past and, you know, how we've come to love movies or why we're even doing uh, this podcast. I'm not going to go into all that. I'm just going to say I'm a columnist for Chud.com. You want to <laughs> check out Chud.com? We just redesigned the site. It's really great. Um, so, yeah, I write columns for that site, and... Uh, you were a former critic for E-Film Critic. Yeah, I was a former critic for E-Film Critic, and in addition to like a couple of online sites here and there. I mean, Hollywood Bitch Slap is pretty much the same as E-Film Critic. and um, Except more aggressive. Yeah, and I was a contributor to WGN Radio on a weekly basis for Nick DiGiulio's pop culture radio show for 10 years. Um, but nowadays I'm sort of just laying low and going to school and whatnot. Yeah. But I still do music, like you know. Clooney and the American, just laying low. Yeah. 
I guess that's how it is. He's not going to Elmhurst College, though. Yeah, but you it's the same kind of lifestyle. Assassin, college student. Maybe. I did uh, host some podcasts before, like the Ear Drugs podcast, which was for musicians. and I briefly interned at uh, an Indiana radio station um, doing a country music station, which would have been a blast for people to hear because it's really horrible. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. But I'm really excited about this particular podcast. Are you picking up the comic book to sort of like indicate you're saying too much, Jim, let's move on? Yeah. Was that was that was that was that how I was supposed to read that? I feel my actions speak for themselves. Oh, but you know all of them. Don't you want to talk about a couple of other things you've done, like music wise? No, no God. <laughs> oh come you on, find you did my music, avoid. I love your music. Well, you know, that makes one. It, if you get if you get like a greatest hits of Patrick Rapole, you'll be satisfied, trust me. Or you can at least you can get a ma- the mashup stuff. Come on, that's that's really creative. That was really good. We move on. Okay, sounds like a plan to me. Let's get on to our director of the show episode. <laughs> of the episode. Yeah, um, one Mister Cameron Crow. I'm gonna take out Diane Court. Diane Court doesn't go out. She's a brain trapped in the body of a game show hostess. We don't want to see you get hurt. I want to get hurt. So it's Lloyd, and um, uh, let's go out. Oh, thanks, but I'm busy. So you're, so you're monumentally busy? Well, not monumentally. Hi, Lloyd Dalmas. I'm an athlete, so I rarely drink. Kickboxing. You heard of kickboxing? Sport of the future? I can see by your face, no. My point is you can relax because your daughter will be safe with me for the next seven, eight hours, sir. Maybe Diane Court really likes Lloyd. If you were Diane Court, would you honestly fall for Lloyd? Yeah. 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 What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time possible with Diane? No, really. I'm totally and completely serious. I'm not sure if I should say, you know. I just want to no, tell you that... No, we don't have to say it. How do you know what I'm going to say? I don't know what you're going to say. I'm just going to tell you that thank I love you. you. Is that it? I know. She gave her my heart and she gave me a pen. Lloyd, man, no baby's worth it, dude. All you gotta do is find a girl that looks just like her and then dump her, man. You guys know so much about women. How come you're here, like, from Gas and Sip on a Saturday night? No women anywhere. My choice, man. It's yeah, like, man. conscious choice. choice. I'm a guy. I have pride. Oh, you're not a guy. No, the world is full of guys. Be a definitely. Let's kind of go in order. I mean, we can. We're definitely going to mainly stick to the review of Say Anything in Elizabethtown, but we can briefly, and I mean briefly, touch on his other films if we've seen them. Um, the thing about Cameron Crowe is I don't necessarily hold him in high esteem as a filmmaker. I think he writes great scripts, mm. and I think that's just basically because he grew up as a writer. He grew up writing for Rolling Stone. You know, he got his start really young, and, you know, he sort of evolved as, you know, a journalist, first and foremost. Um, and he, as I know he's a huge fan of Billy Wilder, and to me he's like a lighter, fluffier version of a filmmaker like uh, James L. Brooks. And when I saw, when I rewatched Say Anything, which is the first movie we're going to discuss, and that's his directorial debut... I saw that James L. Brooks executive produced it, and I thought, well, that's kind of appropriate, because 
I think the screenplay for Say Anything is so extraordinarily good. And it's at the time when I saw it, it really kind of served as like an example of, wow, this guy is exactly how I would be. In, in, like just in terms of how idealistic and romantic he is and sort of goofy and off key and and not in a very like not he never becomes a caricature and that's what I loved about Lloyd Doppler. I I believe as we go later in the episode we will learn that he does become a caricature. Well, I don't know, not necessarily. I mean, I believe there was a very specific point in 2005 when he became a caricature. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if we're talking about John Cusack, you know, then I think that he basically repeated a lot of his Lloyd Dobbler. Oh, were you talking about John Cusack? Well, I thought you were talking about Cameron Crowe. Well, I was kind of hinting on Lloyd Dobbler as a character and how strong he is and how mm-hmm. throughout the movie I feel like he's incredibly charming. And I think Cameron Crowe will never make a movie as good as Say Anything. I, 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 like, to me, that's, that is exactly the kind of quote-unquote romantic comedy slash teen movie um, amalgam, if you will, mm-hmm. that I respond to the most. It's way better than anything John Hughes has ever done. Yeah, and, undoubtedly. And John I, Hughes is, and let me go on the record, John Hughes is terrible. Well, I wouldn't go that far. He, to wrote, say, he wrote Vacation, I think and then he just did terrible things. He also wrote Mr. Mom, which is a pretty funny movie. I, <laughs> Come I on. really don't think the script of Mr. Mom is very strong. Well, but, the thing about John Hughes is I would not have him be one of our selections. No, I wouldn't either. I, don't, I can't defend the majority of his work. But I subject myself to it. Cameron Crowe, I can pretty much defend the majority of his stuff. There's a reason we started um, on Cameron Crowe. And that is because I believe one of the fundamental differences between you and me um, as film viewers is that you are very, well, and also maybe as people, you're very optimistic and romantic and you like movies that are sort of optimistic and romantic and you don't mind if they're a little cheesy and you don't mind um, if they wear their heart on their sleeve and if they're sappy. Or they have cute little pop song musical right. cues and that stuff doesn't really bother me in fact you you find it very endearing i sure do um and i feel the opposite i really really hate cameron crow um i uh, i see i don't understand how you can hate cameron Crow. well yeah that's how it, it feels he's so charming yeah well i mean his movie like okay here's what it's like it's like a puppy with roses <laughs> in its mouth okay and it's trotting along it's doing that little puppy trot where it's half hopping because its legs aren't powerful yet okay so it's hopping along with roses in its mouth which is cute and adorable and oh see how wonderful life is but it then it takes the rose out of its mouth and goes did you see before where i was just trotting around with the rose in my mouth i really love roses uh puppy being a puppy's great i love roses and at that point, you just want to punch the puppy. I want to pet the puppy. Yeah. And you know what I think? <laughs> Go I ahead. I think uh, Say Anything's a really good movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's a miracle. I was really surprised to like it, because uh, before um, before we got prepared for this podcast, the only Cameron Crowe movies I'd seen was um, Fast Times at Ridgemount High, which I found... Which isn't very good. No, I did not find it funny or interesting or... <sighs> anything it, um but i love jennifer jason lee and so. uh, almost famous which i despise um i don't despise it but i can definitely acknowledge it's incredibly self-indulgent and self-congratulatory yeah so uh so i was not sure i would like anything 
by Cameron Crowe, but I really do like See Anything. I think it works. Um, it's It's got its problems. I mean, the character of Lloyd Dobler, he exists to please... Uh, what, what's the... I'm, you're going to learn this quickly, uh, listeners. I'm terrible at Diane? things. Diane? Yeah, he learns to please Diane. That, that's what he lives for. That's his only goal, and that's ridiculous. But, okay. Um, you don't see really why he likes Diane so much. Um, right. But, you know, love is strange, and you know, te- teenage love is even stranger, so I'm willing to go with it. And everything else, though, is great. It's really, really cute, um, fun movie. And the father and daughter relationship oh, is yeah. really great. Really the, um, great. John Mahoney's amazing. John Mahoney knocks it out of the park. I'm going to need to, by the way, get a list of... I'm also going to be prepared with character and actor names. Yeah, we'll do that. Because I'm, I'm really horrible at that sort of thing. John Mahoney's great. Um, I had read that the whole movie started when James L. Brooks saw a father and daughter walking down the street, and he goes, what if that father went to jail? Which sounds like a bullshit story, but um, it works. It's probably my favorite part of the movie is the relationship between the two. That I love that uh, first night where um, she comes home and uh, at like having been out all night, and he doesn't yell at her. Mm-hmm. He's a little surprised and he's a little disappointed, but you see the their relationship, you know, through all of her years, her eighteen years. Like, they've really established, you know, a trust and everything. And it's such a little moment, and he does a, such a good job with it. Um, and John, and I, I think if anyone but John Cusack was Lloyd Dobler, it would be an unbearably, annoyingly perfect character. Because, mm. I mean, his only flaw is, oh, I don't know what to do with my life, which is, you know, means he's 18. Yeah. So, and I, I really don't like flawless characters like that, but he makes him so endearing. It really does work. Yeah, and and even the the friends are are very vivid. Like yes. Lily Taylor's great. Lily Taylor with her guitar. Yeah, singing about her songs. Ex, yeah, Joe lies. <laughs> I love that. That's, uh, I love the party scene. Yeah, I know. It's usually those those scenes are played really over the top in like an eighties yeah. comedy, but yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a less than zero situation <laughs> where there are TVs everywhere and just everyone's crazy and and I like how. Um, when she gets there, everyone isn't, oh, what's he doing with her? Oh, what's she doing with him? Oh, she's a brain. Because that's like the first dialogue of the movie is Lily Taylor's right. telling John Cusack. That's not going to work. Yeah, right. and I was really, because I, I cannot connect to, I maybe it's just the school I went to, there was no clicks at all. I cannot connect to this idea that everyone's so fiercely divided that... Which is why you don't like Breakfast Club, No, but, but, well, that's No, I don't like Breakfast <laughs> Club because it's a horrible script. Uh, it's got its, it's moments. It's a horrible script. It's, it's, it's really moments. bad. It's a bunch of stereotypes complaining that they're stereotypes. It should have gone <laughs> meta and had ended with them killing John Hughes. Huh. That would have been interesting. Yeah, where they're like, why did you make us like this? Everyone has more dimensions than, you know, no one's just this. No one's just that. Yeah. Oh, God. And I think that, like, especially with Say Anything, his, you know, love for Billy Wilder kind of shines through but i also feel especially the ending uh, there's a little bit of the graduate um just sort of like the ambiguity but See, it's also I an opti- just, it's an optimistic i so. love billy wilder's one of my favorites and i cannot really like the apartment aside which you know pretty much any modern romantic comedy it's also my favorite movie the, by yeah the, way. the apartment yeah pretty much any rom- modern romantic comedy owes a lot to the apartment and, and annie hall 
lesser probably mm-hmm. than the apartment. But wow, you just mentioned both of our favorite movies. Yeah, Annie Hall's my favorite movie. But other than that, I really don't see how he's anything like Billy Wilder. Like Billy Wilder's really vicious. And I, th- mean. I feel like he's good at, at making really great strong characterization. I yeah. mean, even in even in some of his flawed movies, I feel like but he's, he doesn't he's like good. his characters. Yeah. Billy Wild, like that's true. Seen, no, no, you're right. Ace like, in the Hole. Have you yeah. seen Ace in the Hole? Yeah. Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Have you seen One, Two, Three with James Cagney? Wow, I don't think I've there's seen not that a, one. There's not a redeemable character in the entire movie. It's hmm. a, it's a fun movie, but like Billy Wilder, really, uh, Stalag Seventeen maybe, but. <laughs> For the most part, Billy Wilder just sees the worst in everyone. I'm not comparing Cameron Crowe to Billy Wilder. Right. Let's but, not get to go there. But, but I've <laughs> seen multiple places when I've been doing when I was doing research. It mentioned, oh well, Cameron Crowe, who studied under Billy Wilder, or whose favorite director is Billy Wilder, and it's he wrote I, a book. Yeah. You know, with him having conversations. I just I know, but I'm just saying. I feel it's irrelevant. You know. Like, if Kanye West's favorite artist was Enya, that wouldn't add any depth <laughs> to Kanye West, because his music's nothing wouldn't like surprise Enya. Me. Yeah. No, but I feel like this is a, 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 a like a very nice portrayal of falling in love yeah. and having, you know, shit go wrong and dealing mm-hmm. with parents. And I love the way, I mean, that iconic scene plays out. And Can we talk about that? We shall. Okay. Because I was worried, like, that was going to be the moment where you'd be like, fuck. I can't stand it no, because it's just like so forcefully schmaltzy. That was the moment where I got really confused because I want—I don't know if I'm the last person ever to see say anything. I didn't put it up there with the kind of go- movies that everyone sees, like Ghostbusters or Star Wars or whatever. So all I knew about say anything was that it was Cameron Crowe movie had John Cusack, and at one point he holds up a boombox playing Peter Gabriel's "In Your Eyes." Mm-hmm. I was under the impression, and I feel this is how it is portrayed in movies or in how in pop culture at least, is that the movie ends with that. That the movie ends with John Cusack holding up a boombox for a very long time, and then she, it like, wins her over. And I thought that was going to be the ending of the movie. I was amazed at how it's just like this, it could have easily been cut out of the movie. But it's like more of a a remembrance of, hey, we had sex to this song, and and you're throwing it all away. Right. So... And also, I don't think it's a romantic gesture. I think it's a really yeah. bitter thing that he does when he holds it up. Everyone, every it's always depicted. He holds up the boombox, and it's an ultimate romantic gesture. It isn't romantic gesture at all. He's going, "Hey, we fucked. Remember <laughs> that? We." It's implied that they both lost their virginities. You know, right? And that means nothing to you. This is you're going to throw it all out because you're afraid of what your dad thinks or whatever. You know what? Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. How dare you try to forget this? That's what it came across to me. It's not that's romantic a good, no, at that's, all. That's a really good interpretation of that, for sure, yeah. I especially like that there's not an end to that scene where she's, you know, out the window yelling at him or anything. No. It just It just perfectly plays out. And originally, the song was supposed to be completely different. Right, it was uh, Fishbone? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know Fishbone. I don't know. I'm going to assume that Fishbone is a death metal band, because that will just be more enjoyable. Mm, not quite. All right. I don't know how to describe them per se. Actually, but the Fishbone song they were going to use sounded a little something like this. So, our final thoughts on Say Anything. It's... 
it still remains to be. It, it's definitely my favorite Cameron Crowe movie. Very good. And of all of the, I'm 80s, glad that you liked it because yeah. I'd be like, Patrick, you have no heart. No, of all of the '80s like teen romances that um, are purported to be really nice and great movies, this is the only one that actually is. Yeah, uh, and I love the uh, I love the graduate ending, and I also love how Cameron Crowe subverted the graduate ending by actually adding the ding. Because any other <laughs> filmmaker, any other filmmaker would not be able to resist not putting in the ding of the no smoking sign. Yeah. Thus leaving it ambiguous about God. whether or not. How would a Christopher Nolan handle yeah, that? No ding. No ding, Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Yeah. And no one else would have put in the ding because they like things to be ambiguous. And go, Cameron Crowe is too optimistic to put in the ding, and I actually really like that. I completely agree. Yeah. Wow. Now, from. Now, <laughs> now let's go to the complete opposite. Oh, of say anything and to me it's watching elizabeth town is just me constantly questioning why i don't like this movie at all in fact i hate it uh-huh. and i've never really outright hated a camera crow movie um even singles as completely dated as it is now has its charms what's singles i mean you i know what singles is but i never saw it it's like say anything only with way, far more caricatures and grunge music. It was. It takes place in Seattle, and they're all drinking coffee and talking about Pearl Jam oh and starting God. a is band. It, and is it Cameron Crowe's Reality Bites? It is. It is very oh. much like Reality Bites, and it's painful to watch now. Which one? Came despite first? liking it when it first came out, just because I was a sucker for that period and I was growing up in that period. But which uh, which one came first, Reality Bites or Singles? I want to say Singles came out in 92, and then Reality Bites came out in 93. Reality but, Bites is yeah. awful, by the way. Yes. I saw that recently. That is one of the worst movies. Like, everyone is horrible in it, except for Steve Zahn, of course, because Steve Zahn's... Steve Zahn's... In, yeah, he's incapable of not being... Yeah. Or, yeah. So he's like with, M. Emmett Walsh in that way. Yeah, for, for Elizabethtown, on a personal level, I watched this movie going, oh, okay, it's about a guy who's down on his luck trying to get over his father's death, meets a cute girl, and, you know, beautiful pop songs play, and there's epiphanies all around. And, and he, he's redempted. He's, he redeemed. he's redeemed. He's not redempted. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's that. Norm Crosby, everybody. Yeah. No, um, I seriously hate Elizabethtown, and I've watched it three times. I understand. You have to let me go. <laughs> You're about to lose this company. 972 million dollars i cry a lot lately drew i have some really bad news dad died i'll be back in two days just get dad home the two sides of this family have never integrated well so don't expect to make a lot of friends when you go back drew doesn't make friends mom i have friends louisville kentucky huh actually near louisville 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 Louisville. i'll keep that in mind Home misses her family. My dad. He's okay, right? He's fine. They're all here, cuz. This loss will be met by a hurricane of love. You look just like your daddy. We hope you're gonna stay for a while. Uncle Mitch always wanted us to meet. Everybody says we look alike. (laughs) Weird, huh? It's like looking in a mirror. Hello? Hello, stranger. I wanted to tell you the truth. My dad's dead. 
and they're not buying cremation. Was there such a thing as partial cremation? Ah! How can you even say such a thing? Good Lord. Things really are black and Every white. day needs a purpose. I can't believe I'm telling this to someone. <laughs> Sometimes the end of one man's journey. You and your dad were close. Oh, very close. I knew him very, very well. Very, very well. Yeah, I don't know my father very well either. It's the beginning of another man's life. Nathan Raven, his column, My Year of Flops, is one of the most popular columns on The Onion's AV Club, where he reviews movies that were um, commercial or critical failures. Um, uh, and he released a book recently of his column, and it starts with his first review, which was of Elizabethtown, and it ends with a reevaluation of Elizabethtown. The first one, he hates it. At the end, he likes it. I feel it was a bad, it was kind of a forced way to give the book some kind of structure. Sure. Because they didn't know how to end it. Because his, his defense of Elizabethtown is not nearly as convincing as his defense of Elizabethtown pretty much boils down to, all right, so it's shitty, but it's really nice. I don't even, like, the the fluffy sincerity of this movie. It's like, I remember when I saw, I know this is completely you know, um, no, I think I can find a good parallel here. When I saw Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. the David Lynch movie, I was watching it going, oh, so this is why there are a lot of David Lynch detractors. <laughs> because that's a movie I don't respond to in any way. I find it completely ridiculous and not very entertaining. And for, for for like I've always loved his weird movies up until Mulholland Drive came out, and that's when I said, "Well, this is why there are David Lynch detractors because of the some of the shit he does in this movie." In Elizabethtown, I understand why there could be Cameron Crowe detractors because all the things that people have criticized him for are like amped up uh-huh. in this movie. The the, the, and the done horrible, in a completely tone deaf and charmless way. Yeah, and you know it starts with the casting. Orlando Bloom is who's your least awful in this who's your, movie. Who's your least favorite in the cast? I really think Orlando Bloom might be my least favorite. I really? really do because he doesn't belong in this world. No, he's horrible. He's really bad. He doesn't understand. Like, there's no, he, there's no grief there. No. That's not how grief works. Really, by the like the time he first arrives in the town, even before he gets out of his car, it feels like he's already over his dad's death. <laughs> yep. he, by just by seeing people wave to him, he's like, "Wow!" And then he sees his dad's body, and he goes, "He looks so whimsical." And and it, it feels like that arc is over. It honestly feels like he's gotten over it already, and that he's no longer suicidal. And then, like all of a sudden, it goes back to that. Um, I think my least favorite, just because the way the character is written, is uh, Paul Schneider. Oh yeah, Paul Schneider's uh, horrible, horrible character. Let me say, this loss Jesse... will be met by a hurricane of love. <laughs> Jesse Baylor, who um, he's he's like in my house. I teach. That Abraham Lincoln and who's the other guy? Steve, Ronnie Van Zant mm-hmm. are the same in equal in greatness. Like, oh, God, he's the worst. Every time Paul Schneider opened his mouth, I just wanted someone to put a fist in it. It's weird because, like, this movie is a combination of all of his other movies, and, and, yeah. and, and better for better and worse. Shove. But, like, you know, the beginning starts off a lot like Jerry Maguire, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like, oh, I work for, you know, corporate slavery and, um, you know, it sucks and whatnot. And then and then it turns into a little bit of uh, Vanilla Sky when, you know, the lead character all meeting actually, Kirsten Dunst. All the way up until he invents his stupid little suicide machine, I really thought I might actually like it. 
which to be fair is I only did, the first 10 minutes. But. Well, true. I did like that part. It was kind of weird. I wasn't sure, especially like in retrospect with, I don't know how I feel sometimes with some musical cues, but the fact that Elliot Smith had just died from a self-inflicted knife uh-huh. suicide and then the music in the background was very... It wasn't Elliot Smith, but it was so much like Elliot Smith that it was really off-putting to me. And I'm not sure, like... I wasn't, like, deeply affected by Elliot Smith's music. I think he's okay. I really like him. But I found it a little bit in bad taste to have him commit well, attempt, su- have... attempt suicide the same way that Elliot Smith did. But it wasn't... It wasn't an actual Elliot Smith song in the background? That's what I'm not sure about. I need to look into that. It just sounded a lot like Elliot his, Smith. All I know is that his ringtone was the worst. The second the <laughs> ringtone came on, I knew I hated the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that that can happen. Maybe that's so why I hated Easy A. It's, it's a... Um... <laughs> Sorry. You hated Easy A? I did. I, I was really disappointed by it. All the people went, oh, you know, it's actually really smart and clever. It's not smart at all. Yeah. Oh, uh, but I don't know. I can't hate it completely because... I can hate Elizabethtown, though. I mean, yeah. and it's weird because, like... I'm a sucker, even before my dad passed away, I am a sucker for father and son bonding in movies. And even the flashback scenes, they were like a, like a long-distance commercial where it was like the, the music's playing and the dad is hold, like they're moving and he's it's, dancing yeah. with a box in the air. And I, it's was, like, I was expecting a, uh, like farmer's insurance logo yeah. to appear in the bottom corner somewhere. It's I know, really and, horrible. And even with... Because I actually like, I know you probably don't, but I actually like the moment in Almost Famous with the Elton John, sound, Elton John song playing and they all start singing in unison. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really sweet scene. Yeah. And in it's this really movie, terrible, but okay. <laughs> in this movie, he plays an Elton John song while Orlando Bloom is talking to his dad whose ashes are in an yeah. urn and the music is like overpowering the dialogue and I'm like, this is a horrible choice, Cameron. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't work. Jim, Nothing about it works. Can you, can you do me a favor? Hmm. Right now, I want you to drop in the audio clip of the uh, completely oh, bizarre yeah. video. Yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> that where Orlando Blooms, yeah. the video, he puts on a video, and the uh, the video says... Now, hey, listen up. If I blow up this house... You help me build a new house where the old house used to be. If I blow this house up, will you promise to behave and mind your mommy and daddy? I see you. Are you listening to me? Will you promise to behave? Which makes no sense <laughs> at all. I know. Why wasn't that on the cutting room floor? Did you know that this movie was originally, like, practically three hours? When it premiered at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival, I believe. Really? Yeah. And oh, man, I every critic, cut. Every critic hated it. And it was a, a shock, because a lot of critics have given most of his movies a pass, and... Mm-hmm. I think coming from something like Vanilla Sky, where pretty much every choice in that movie works for me, even though it really? can be... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone? I watch it. I... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even Penelope Cruz, who I don't... I thought Tom Cruise is horrible in Vanilla Sky. No. He, he, there's no. not a character there at all. It's He's doing his weird... Like, he's doing, like, an impersonation of Tom Cruise. 
Which is what I liked about it. No, it's really it doesn't work at all. It mm. doesn't work in the movie at all, and it has, and it has horrible exposition ending. Uh, yeah, it does have that. Unlike the original. I liked, I actually liked Vanilla Sky a little bit. Um, it's it's not a good movie, but, no, but I it's... really found it kind of endearing. And it's actually the only movie where Cameron Diaz is good. So I know that's shocking. That's one of the sho- most shocking things about that movie. I really something. like anything that has to do with dreams. Yeah. It's one of those things where, again, like, I have biases. You'll you'll get to know those. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, as I said, dreams, father and son bonding works. Yeah. But the father and son bonding in this movie doesn't work at all. And it could just be because I don't buy Orlando Bloom's grief, like you said. But also, once you get to the love story portion of this movie where the, 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 the term manic pixie dream girl was pretty much coined because of Kirsten Dunst's character in this movie... She literally like the the flight attendant from hell. Where if if I and if I had somebody come up to me that acted this way, I wouldn't engage with them at all. Right. Just I so don't like friendly people either. Way too like I don't mind friendly people, but this is like an over exaggerated yeah. southern friendly girl that your dad just stopped. Did your dad just stop? Oh, like, Whose accent I, was no, worse, Orlando Bloom's or Kirsten Dunst? Kirsten Dunst. I you think, think so? I think so. Well, no, actually, no, Orlando Bloom. Yeah, but it's, it, it, it's and, tough. And my all-time favorite Ryan Adams song is played in this movie, "Come Pick Me Up." And it, again, I'm watching it and going, "Poor choice." Yeah, poor it's choice really to poor play, choice. Poor choice to play that song while two people are connecting over the phone and falling in love. Yeah, a song about people falling apart. Right. <laughs> like I know you love this music, Cameron, but it just didn't belong. And then you decide to have a, a memorial service ending in Freebird. Yeah. Like I this movie to me plays like somebody satirizing Cameron Crowe movies. My my friend actually or someone I know from Chud, um he was actually he actually was I think it like in uh uh I'm so stupid. What's the word? PA. He was uh-huh. a PA on this movie and he said that second unit did some really like second unit filmed the freebird scene. <laughs> like it's really weird. Like he said, Cameron Crowe mostly chose to shoot really strange small things, mm-hmm. like the uh, part where they go to Colonel Sanders' grave. <laughs> By the way, I can't fucking believe that I'm saying, oh yeah, like that part where they go to Colonel Sanders' grave. The movie's so horrible. Oh, um, and I love road trips yeah. in movies. Yeah, horrible. This it's is- like all the things I should love in a movie is played completely wrong in every way. Yeah, and I don't even love those kind of things. So imagine how I feel. Yeah. No kidding. So Elizabeth Town is is crap, and we'll see what happens when he comes out comes out with his latest movie. We bought a zoo. <laughs> <Is> that <laughs> that's the name of the movie. Is it animated? I don't think so. I thought it was animated. There no, there was some other like Adam Sandler movie where there's a zoo. Um, yeah, this is animated. Despite how bad Elizabeth Town is, I'm still a fan of Cameron Crowe well, actually, as a whole. The funny and, thing is, I started with Elizabeth Town, mm-hmm. and then I watched Vanilla Sky. And then I watched Say Anything. And from that, I'm actually... I mean, his career, the trajectory is really good to incredibly shitty. But I, I went backwards, and I'm actually a little bit easier on Cameron Crowe than I was. And I do like Jerry Maguire. I don't love it. I think it's fine. I think for what it is, it's fine. It's not a movie that like sticks out in terms of romantic comedies and... It has good dialogue. I mean, that's oh, a, it's very that's, quotable that's, dialogue. That's what I want to. That's what I also want to point out money. about Cameron Crowe. 
Cameron Crowe, the one thing I liked about Say Anything, it feels like the only movie Cameron Crowe has written where there are lines that don't feel like, look at how funny and clever these lines are. Like, it's it's the puppy thing again, where he's just I know. so in love with this dialogue that he'll... Here's uh, here's a way to sum up Cameron Crowe. That's, that's what killed Almost Famous for me, is the I am a golden god, and rock stars kidnap my son, and all those horrible lines that he you know treats as if they're just show-stopping one-liners. But I love music, and I love journalism, so I, I liked parts of Almost Famous. I liked what he was going for. I know it was an autobiographical thing. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is great as Lester Bangs. There are things to like about Almost Famous. I like it a lot less... Yeah. Over like I've seen it three or four times. I like it a lot less with each time. Um, however, I think a really good note to end on is Absolutely. why Cameron Crowe is a flawed filmmaker. He can come up with a, a great sort of weird, absurd, cute line, like, you know, I'll tell you or I'll see you in the next life when we are both cats. Oh, but then, what's the worst? I love that line. <laughs> so. Dominic repeats it seventeen times. I know, but I love it. And Something the thing, that, the thing that sucks that was so bad. Penelope Cruz said to him during yeah. the club scene. Oh god, and so horrible. I love that line. And here's where it's like, oh, I can understand why people don't like Cameron Crowe. Again. Yeah, he comments on the line right in the movie. Remember that super obvious shot where um, it does freewheeling Bob Dylan uh, or. Is it freewheeling Bob yeah. Dylan the cover it does? Yeah. yeah. Where uh, Penelope Cruz and Tom Cruise are walking down the street and it's like freewheeling Bob Dylan. And then later, when Mr. Exposition shows up, a character who, uh, the day's ex machina incarnate, <laughs> who shows up and just explains every mystery, leaves nothing. By the way, that's what ruins Vanilla Sky. The relationship part of Vanilla Sky is really good, mm-hmm. but Cameron Crowe doesn't know how to make anything ambiguous. Mm-hmm. So during the thriller aspect, instead of wondering, oh my god, what's going on? I'm just waiting. I'm just I'm just sitting back going, alright, well, this is all not real, so I'm going to wait until... Somebody explains it. Right, he can't do ambiguity. And- now, if you would have cut out that entire scene on the elevator, it'd be great. It would be, like, possibly yeah. almost... Not quite as good to say anything, but almost. Again, it's that, the puppies with flowers in its mouth is fine, but when it's take the flowers out of its mouth... You, and I love you. If he would have just found the elevator, went up to the roof, and figured everything out by himself, Especially that much great, better. Remember, you remember that great moment where Kurt Russell realizes that he's not real? <laughs> Kurt Russell goes, what? I know. <laughs> No, oh, God, I like that so part. Funny. I it's think great. The, the thing, yeah, the, the the really ridiculous, over the top parts of that movie, like even the club scene or Tom Cruise's performance, works for me because of the heightened sort of exaggerated reality that he's stuck no, in. It's and it's, it, his performance is completely off. It's not just that it's too over the top; it's that it it's wrong. It doesn't feel like an actual character. Yeah. It might be a you know, but at the same time, I I like everything about Vanilla Sky. It's probably my second favorite Cameron Crow movie. Yeah, yeah. It's probably my second favorite Cameron Crow movie too. But that's because the thriller aspects made the relationship aspects more tolerable. Yeah, and his his choice in songs is so much better in that movie than even Almost Famous. I like uh, like that's I kind of th- hated that it opened with everything in its right place. I didn't. Yeah, you didn't I, hate that. No, I didn't. Kinda I thought it worked. It. I pretty much like every song on the Vanilla Sky soundtrack, except know. the Vanilla Sky song, the sort of like boring Paul McCartney acoustic number yeah, that plays it, at the end. The the use of the music it reminded me of a nostril. You know how it reminded me of a nostril? It was on the nose. <laughs> 
on but, the nose. But I, but I like that it was on the nose. Yeah, it's, no. I like that he played "Sweetness Follows," a really underrated REM song, and then the dream begins. Get it? Sweetness follows, as in the dream is going to begin. The dream is going to follow this horrible reality that he's stuck in. I like dreams. Yeah, I bet you do. So that concludes our excellent beginning. I like that I'm commenting on our first episode. That's a very Cameron Crowe thing to do. Yeah. To be uh, like next next episode though. It's gonna be we are it's gonna going be to, ugly. It's gonna get ugly um, because we're covering Rob Zombie, the maker of incredibly ugly movies. Oh. Um, There's gonna be a lot of that. Are we? We're gonna do I House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, uh, right? Yeah, if I can tone down the. <sighs> yeah, that's that's the sound. Whenever whenever Jim hates something or anything that Jim hates is mentioned, you just you just hear from across the room at a party, just across <laughs> the room, go. Uh, Somebody just, said Rob Zombie. Sigh again. like someone deflated him. Yeah, like he's the big wonder dog balloon at the Thanksgiving Day parade and gets. Somebody deflated. mentioned that they love the Hangover, and that's what happens. I like the Hangover quite a bit. Oh my god, it's a very funny movie. Zach Galifianakis. I don't want to. Do, I don't want to do that. Wow. I don't want to do Todd so, Phillips. He's not worth our time. Look forward to next week. When, you uh, should look forward to defen- next week. Yeah, where I'm on the defensive. But we actually agreed. Yeah. Well, I mean, we both liked Say Anything, and we both liked, or we both hated Elizabethtown, right, which we, is very we rare. we fundamentally disagree about Cameron Crowe. Okay. I would call it Say Anything an anomaly, and I would say mo- all the rest of his movies are com- are really uh, shitty. I like kind of like Vanilla Sky, but it's really. Shitty. I really love Vanilla Sky, so. All right. And all of his other movies, I'm, I could give or take. It's How like is the original that it's a remake of. It's definitely there's no exposition. Hmm. No exposition. Yeah. And Penelope Cruz is in it, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. You know. Penelope Cruz also I wasn't a big fan of in Vanilla Sky. I like her. I don't love her, but I, I don't know. I, I thought she was fine. You know? Oh, you know who I really don't like in Vanilla Sky? Hmm. Jason Lee. Aww. Jason Lee's really bad in it. Nah, I didn't think so. I used to love Jason Lee when I first saw Mallrats, and I thought it was amazing. He's great in Chasing Amy, too. I don't remember Chasing Amy enough. I saw hmm. that, like, seven years ago. I wouldn't mind doing Kevin Smith in the future. Yeah. You know, might be yeah. fun. He'll, but just don't let him know about it. Oh, yeah. He he'll, will he'll, retaliate. He will tweet. Like, yeah. you won't, like, nobody tweets like Kevin that Smith. That might actually be a good idea. We should probably let him know about it. You're right. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, for yeah. our, to our first episode of the Director's Club podcast. Hopefully I am, next week we'll have a real theme song. We, well, maybe. We can just have, like, a song from the, one of the movies we chose. All right. I like that. I like that right. idea. Yeah. All right. I am Jim Laskowski. I'm Patrick Rapole. And this has been the Director's Club podcast. Stay tuned next week when we discuss Rob Zombie. Your dad just died. Oh, come on. Sit up front. All right, you sit up front. Your dad just died. <laughs>